Right, we've turned into 1 John chapter 4, and I'm going to continue reading from verse 7 to the end of verse 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage which reminds us of your love for us and then are we supposed to love you and love one another. Father, help us to come to terms with loving one another. Help us to examine our hearts and allow your word to, to exhort us, to rebuke us or to correct us or to train us, teach us in righteousness so that we can learn to love one another, starting here in the household of God. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you sent him to die on the cross, to forgive our sins, to bring us to you, Father, so we may have eternal life. And we thank you, Father, for this. Thank you for Robertson Reformed Community Church, Father. Thank you that we have a congregation, that we can meet on a Sunday, and that your word can be preached, and we can be built up in your word. Father, I just think now of Leslie. I pray you'd be merciful to her. She drives to Worcester Medic Clinic. And be merciful to her mom, that there would not be any serious complications, that you would give the, the specialists, the doctors there, the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding to, to diagnose and, and, and to help correct the, the situation if there is a problem, Father. But have mercy upon Leslie and her sister as they go through and just encourage and comfort her mom. Thank you, her mom could be in church last Sunday and worship with us and have fellowship with us. Thank you, her mom knows you. So, Father, have mercy upon us now. Help us now to listen and understand and go out and be doers of your word. Help us, Father. Pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to continue to look at God's love in God's Son. And this is what we're looking at in verses 7 to 11. And then the challenge for us comes next week when we look at God's love in God's children. And it's quite challenging to read some books around that, especially Francis Schaeffer, who is extremely hard on how we're supposed to love as Christians. He knows we fail to love. And because we fail to love perfectly, which we know we won't, doesn't mean we're not a Christian. But we have to love. And we're going to look at that, Lord willing, next Sunday. And maybe the following Sunday, maybe the following Sunday. But hopefully by the time we finish with 1 John chapter 4, we will be loving a little bit better than what we are loving at this present moment. Like I said last week, John was known as the doctor of love. He was a theologian of love. And as I said, the, the um, beloved love loves and loved. 
Can you remember how many times it's mentioned in verses 7 to 21? Can you remember how many times it's mentioned? 29 times it's mentioned. 29 times. Basically every verse nearly. John mentions love. So there's something here that we've got to take note of and that's love. God's love for us and our love for each other. So hopefully if I ask the same question I asked last week and I'll ask the same question Lord willing next week and next week. When we think of God's love as Christians, what comes to your mind? Is it different to what you thought of last Sunday? Or does romantic love, emotional love, big teddy bear love, fuzzy warm love, or friendship love still come to your mind? Now when you think of how the world defines love, like romantic love, emotional love, big teddy bear love, and unfortunately Christians also bring that into what God's love means for us. But how can it fit into this beautiful passage when Paul writes to the church of Corinth and he says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And if we say love is emotional love, romantic love, big teddy bear love, fuzzy warm love, then we're going to struggle to love the irritable, the people that irritate us. Because love is not irritable. Love is not resentful. People that, that rub you up the wrong way and make you resentful and bitter towards them. How do we love through this? Fuzzy warm love is not going to help us. Emotional love is not going to help us. The only love that's going to help us is if we look to what God's love is for us as a Christian. And Paul, in this verse, is talking about love that is an action, that is a verb. It's, it's an action. And the, and the Greek word for love is agape or agape. And that is the highest level of love that is associated with God. And there is no such thing as agape without action. Love is an act of self-sacrifice, not a feeling. Remember I read last week, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave us His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God doesn't say, I love the world and then leave. He demonstrated that love and He sent His Son Jesus into this world. He demonstrated that love. He showed us His love. It was an action. It's also an action in our own lives, meeting the needs and doing God, doing what God wants us to do, not how we feel or what we think. We discriminate our love at times as well. It's not self-seeking, pride, selfishness, self-glory or vanity. There's nothing of that in God's love. And God says, love our neighbor as ourselves. It's not blaming them, but kiss, hugging them and say, go well. It's actually getting involved in people's lives. We've already been warned in this letter, which if you, if you want to listen to part one, go listen to last Sunday, and I fleshed out the introduction a little bit more. But we've already been warned that our love needs to be action. It can't be a lip service of compassion. It can't be sentiment. 
It's, we've got to be doers of this love. Yes, there's a time when you will pray for someone. And there's a time when you will pat someone on the back. But normally, it's not talk or theory. It's not lip service for compassion. It's, it's, it's getting involved in someone's life. Because if we don't, then we are disobedient to Jesus and we sin against the body of Christ, especially with loving one another here in this church. So this morning I want to continue to, to help us to examine our hearts, to see if God's love dwells in our hearts. Because if you are a Christian and you believe, then that love does dwell in your heart. And people should see that love out there, how we love each other in here. So this morning we're going to continue to look at God's love in God's Son. And just before we move on to our second truth, to encourage us, what do, we, what do I want with these truths? I want to encourage us to embrace God's love, not just in our head, but also in our hands, so that love becomes workable in our lives. It flows from, it's actually flow, flow from our minds into our hearts where it's warmed and then it flows lovingly out through our hands into the lives of, of people. So let's look at our first truth. Just, just remind us of our first truth. And our first truth that we looked at last week, again, you can go listen to it in a more fleshed out way. But our first truth to help us to embrace God's love and not just have it in our head, but also in our hands, is found in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. And that verse is talking about Jesus' incarnation. Jesus come as the Son of God in the flesh. God in the flesh is the incarnation. But John is a very wise writer. Before he points us and motivates us to look at Jesus, he, he reminds us, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. And whoever loves, he's been born of God and knows God. But if anyone who says they love God and knows God, but they don't love, then, as it says in verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. You cannot be a Christian and say you love God, but you don't love out there. Well, first, yeah, let's talk about yeah, because this is what this letter is trying to address. There are false teachers in this church that are telling people, you can live as you please, you don't have to love one another, and you can just, just do as you please. You can still sin. You can still just walk in falsehood, because this is what he's correcting in this letter. And what shows someone that... What shows us if we are truly in Christ and truly a Christian is our love. And he's trying to remind them, guys, remember, you've got to love one another because love is from God. If we say we love God and we say we, we're born of God, then we must love one another. And if you don't, then how can you, how can you be born of God? How, you don't even know God because God is love. But how does he motivate them? This is when he goes to verse 9 and 10. And verse 9 is Jesus' incarnation. And then now this morning we'll get to verse 10 and we'll look at Jesus' crucifixion. He points them to the place where we should always go when we are um, complacent, when we are, find sin in our lives, we find ourselves drifting, going wayward. We go to the cross and we look at the cross and there on the cross we see Jesus and what he did for us. 
He earned our salvation. We did nothing. All we do is believe. And then keep on believing in the truths and promises that God has given us through His Son Jesus in the, in the Scriptures. But John wants to know, guys, you have to love one another because love is from God and God is love. God is love. Love is a gift from God. It's God's nature to love. God doesn't love because God feels like loving. God's nature is to love. God is love. I can't explain it. All I know is God is love. And He shares His love with us as a gift. It's not a matter of loving when I feel like it. But it's all about I love and I do what God commands me to do. Like someone said, it's so absurd to claim to be a Christian and say we know God if we do not love our fellow Christians. It's absurd to say someone is a Springbok rugby player and that's all they talk about, but you've never seen them. You, you, you look for their name in, the, in what year they played for the Springboks, but all they do is they talk about this is what they did. They played rugby, they represented the Springboks in one game, and you search... And there's nothing there. How absurd is that? How can you say you're such a person but you've never represented your country? We're a Christian. And if the world sees us, which we will look at next week, they need to see, if they want to see God, they need to see His love in us and worked out through us. And so John motivates his readers, and he points them to Jesus' incarnation. And incarnation refers to the fact that Jesus was God in human flesh. Scripture teaches that Jesus is both God by nature and man by nature. He's fully, truly God, fully, truly man. He's one person. God who has no body has taken to himself a body in the person of Jesus. God who cannot suffer has taken to himself a human nature in which he can suffer in Jesus Christ. Why is the incarnation so important? First, we have Jesus there as the high priest. When he died, he's ascended into heaven where he's seated as a high priest. And he had to come. God had to come in the flesh so that he could be an example to follow. He's our example to follow in our lives. And he can sympathize with us. He's a high priest. He can sympathize with us. He was tempted in all things, yet without sin. He suffered. And he can sympathize with us. He was the substitute sacrifice. His incarnation is so important. I was reading this morning. Our relationship with God therefore depends upon an historical incarnation, namely that Jesus is the Son of God. So John is pointing us to the work and person of Christ, the doctrine of Christ, or the doctrine of Jesus. And he says in verse 9, Yeah, we have Jesus who was sent by His Father. God the Father sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. That's the reason why Jesus came to die on the cross. So that we might live through Him. And it's important to know that, that Jesus... Is in, what's the point of Jesus' incarnation? Why it's so important? Because unless our Saviour is God, we are without hope. We wouldn't have a perfect substitute sacrifice. We wouldn't have a perfect high priest. Our Saviour had to be God, and that's what Isaiah confirms. Chapter 43, verse 11. I, I am the Lord, 
and besides me there is no Saviour. Isaiah 43, 11. And we know He came into this world so that we might live through Him. But do you see what it cost Him? Do we see God's love in God's Son? And that should drive us to love one another. But John doesn't stop there. Jesus had to go beyond a life in this fallen world. Jesus' incarnation would have been useless if it stopped there. The next thing, and the next truth we look at, is our second truth, to encourage us to embrace God's love, not just to have it in our head, but have it in our hands, is God sent His only Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And we read that in verse 10. Look with me as we read in verse 10 again. In this is love. He's telling us, in this is love. This is where we define love. This is where we see true love. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. There we see God's love in God's Son. We see it in His crucifixion. But we're going to look at propitiation more. But I'll ask us this question. When I mention the crucifixion, if we're sitting in a group and I mention the cross, the crucifixion where Jesus died, where He shed His blood to forgive our sins, what comes to your mind when you think of the crucifixion? Do you think of Jesus' death? There on the cross, He shed His blood for forgiveness of sins. Do we think of the sacrifice that Jesus paid, the penalty that He paid, the penalty of sin on the cross? He died to sacrifice Himself. He took the penalty upon Himself. He paid the penalty of death we deserved. Scripture says, He, Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. So is that one thing that comes to your mind? Jesus' death on the cross. What else would come to our mind when we think of the crucifixion? Do we think of reconciliation when we think of the cross? It says reconciliation might also come to our mind because of our sins. We are separated from God and to overcome our separation from God we need someone to provide reconciliation, to bring us back to God. We need to be reconciled back to God. To be in a right relationship with God. And who's that person that did that for us? It's Jesus. Scripture tells us. All this is from God, who through Christ Jesus reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself. What else might come to our mind when we think of the crucifixion? What about redemption? Why is redemption important? Well, because we are in bondage to sin and to the kingdom of Satan. If you're not a Christian, you're in bondage to sin and Satan. You're doing His will. You're worshipping Him, the Father of lies. That's what Jesus talks about in, in, or John writes about in John chapter 8, where Jesus said to the Pharisees, You worship the Father of lies. I worship the Father of truth, the Father in heaven. So does redemption come to our, our, our mind? And redemption, if, if we need redemption, then we need someone to provide redemption for us, to redeem us out of our bondage to sin and to Satan. And that someone is Jesus Christ. 
Again, Scripture says, He, God, that's our Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And I guarantee we all maybe talk about the, the Jesus' death, we think of the crucifixion, we maybe talk about reconciliation, how we've been reconciled back to God, we might talk about redemption. But how many of us actually have ever spoken about propitiation? God's wrath. That's why I personally think Christianity is weak. Because we don't take sin seriously because we don't look at God's wrath. And this is how we are warned by God's wrath. I'm going to explain what propitiation is. But look, listen to this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God's wrath is revealed against this world because of unrighteousness. Men suppress the truth. Men and women. Men is both male and female. But do we, do we talk about propitiation. I think we, we forget it. To be honest with you, when God saved me back in 1997, and someone said, mentioned the word propitiation, I had no idea what it was. I had no idea. Even regeneration. And then someone sat me down and said to me, Mark, the reason why you don't know, and you probably haven't come across this word yet, is A, you haven't read it in books, or B, we don't talk about it. And I think it was Lloyd-Jones who said, we have to bring the church back to these precious words. But we downplay. We say we're not, we're not educated enough. We're not, we, we don't want these big words. We don't understand them anymore. These are, the, these are the words that are sown into the gospel. Propitiation, regeneration, redemption. All these words. Justification. All sown into the gospel of Christ. We take them out. We water down the gospel and then we left with a immature Christianity. I think the church is no better than the church of Corinth. But we leave out propitiation. We forget. Propitiation talks about God's wrath. God's wrath has come upon us. And we are rescued from that when God saves us. Scripture says, how we Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica in chapter 1, verses 9 to 10. He says, How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Who deserves God's wrath? We do. We should bear God's wrath. Who deserved to die on the cross? We deserved the penalty for our sins. Jesus did nothing to deserve that. He was sinless. He was the perfect Son of God. But Jesus died on the cross as a propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? It means Jesus' death removed God's wrath that was supposed to come upon us. God is angry with the unbeliever. He's at, he's at enmity with the unbeliever. God was angry with us. But we needed someone to take away that anger from us. And that someone is Jesus. He died on the cross 
propitiation for our sins, meaning He takes that anger from us and it comes on Him and He bears the full wrath of God. Full, perfect wrath. And you don't want to experience God's wrath. But we will see that in the end times, when judgment day comes. We're going to see God's wrath at full fury. God is a consuming fire. And we don't want to fall into the hands of God who is a consuming fire. But isn't that amazing? God just didn't say, guys, I love you, sort out your problem. There was action in God's love. He sent His Son to be the propitiation. He just didn't talk love. He acted. He showed His love. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Like someone said in a hymn, Amazing love. How can it be that Thou, my God, should die for me? Until we see what we don't deserve, until we see what we were before God saved us, that we were sinners deserving God's wrath, deserving hell, deserving judgment, until we see that, then we will start really seeing God's love and what He has done for us, knowing that we don't deserve any of that. Looking at the cross and seeing what God our Father did for us through His Son should humble us. Again, none of us could love if it wasn't for God loved us first. That's what He says in verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. There's no ways we can love God. But He loved us. That's the only reason why we can love. Is he first loved us. And we'll look at that more when we get further into this passage. But God is the initiator of love. God decides to show his love to those who do not love him. Who do not want to love him. To enemies, to rebels, armed to the teeth against him. To a world of lost sinners. God shows his love. We can't even show our love to someone that offends us. We can't even show our love to our neighbour if he's, if he's done something wrong to us. God showed His love to us even when we were, we were not loving Him. When we were rebelling against Him. Disobedient. I know people have witnessed to me in the past before I was saved. And I used colourful language to tell them to get lost. I'm not going to deny that. And here I stand. God's love. What did I do? Nothing. What can I do? Nothing. Everybody here deserves hell. Deserves eternal death. But until we see what we deserve and we put it up against God's love, we will fall at His feet and say, like that hymn writer said, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? That's a question I'd love to ask God one day. Not about all the other theologi theological questions. God, why did you die for me? What did I do? 
And you sent the sinless man, the perfect man, Jesus, who was truly man and truly God. You sent him. If it wasn't for God's love, there would be no mercy, no forgiveness, no hope and no future for any of us. God's love in God's Son is God's love for us. God has loved us in Jesus Christ, in His incarnation, in His propitiation. God sent His Son to be the substitutionary, atoning sacrifice to remove the guilt we incurred because of our sins so that we might have eternal life. Our Christian love is built on God's Son. The cross, that's the foundation for our love. And that should be the means. When we think, when we look at God's love in God's Son and what He's done for us, that should stir us up to love one another. And that's what we want to look at, Lord willing, next Sunday and the following Sunday. That should motivate us to love one another. That's why when you read something like this, it, it, we still don't even obey it. We still don't even. We don't even actually embrace it. And we all struggle with this, with forgiveness. When be kind to one another, tender-hearted, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Just like God has given us His love through the death of His Son, He wants us to do something with that love. And He wants to show people that He is the true living God through our lifestyles, through our love. So will we look at these two truths? And will we be challenged by them? Jesus' incarnation, Jesus' crucifixion, and their propitiation happened on the cross. Jesus' propitiation happened on the cross. There He was crucified. There He took God's wrath. And He removed God's wrath that's supposed to come upon us. And why did God do all of this? Because God is love. And hopefully, knowing these two truths, as we walk out there, will challenge us to embrace God's love, let it get out of our head and into our hands. So we start loving people here. People who you're sitting next to. How can we? How can we? Okay, let's look at this. You know, I have a wife and I have children. How can I sit next to Troy, Timmy, Tyra or Tegan and they say, Dad, please, I need something. Can you get it for me? And what they need, I can't think of anything off my head, but what they need is important. They need, they need a warm jersey for winter. And I say, I'm sorry. You've got to go out there and earn some money and go buy it yourself or steal it off someone's back. Where's my life? Or would I give them snakes and scorpions like it says in, in the Gospels, in the one of the Gospels? Does our Father give us scorpions and snakes when we ask for something? But not God. God demonstrated His love. And He showed us His love by sending His Son to die for us so we can love. We can love one another. The person sitting next to you if you tell the person next to you you're a Christian, then they want to see it in how you love them. I'm going to do something, and I want to close. And I want 
you to listen to these verses. I've got about several scriptures here. And I'm going to say after them, God is love. And if you disagree with any of them, then you can come talk to me. But listen to this. Have you ever read scripture and just thought, God is love? Here's the first one. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, think about whose sins they are, once for sins, the righteous, Him being the righteous, for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. God is love. Do we see God's love in that? Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. God is love. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. God is love. What about Ephesians 2.4-5 But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. God is love. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God is love. And I close with this one. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. And we should say, God is love. You can find many other verses and you'll see God is love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come to your word and your word should turn our hearts to, to love you and to fall down and thank you and, and in return show our thankfulness through our loving you and loving one another. Father, we, we have too much of our love stuck in our head and it's just all mere words. Father, please move this love down into our hands so that it's seen by the unbeliever out there who wants to see God. We talk about this God, but do they see a true loving God lived out in our lives? Father, forgive us, for we do sin. We know you're not looking for perfect love. We know we will fail. But you're looking for, for, for children, your children, to love. And teach us that, Father. But help us as we look to these two truths, Jesus' incarnation and Jesus' crucifixion, his propitiation, where we deserve your wrath. We deserve hell. We deserve to be nailed to that cross. It was our sin, our penalty. We deserve death, eternal death. But you showed your love in your Son by sending your only Son into this world to be the propitiation for our sins so that we might live through you. Father, all we can say is God is love. And we thank you, Father. Help us to embrace this truth. Help us to, to stop looking after our own selfish desires and start showing God's love through our lives into other people's lives as well. Starting in this church, starting in our homes, where we talk about God's love, but do we really see it? Forgive us, Father. Pray in us this all in Jesus' name. Amen.